episode 34 of the Glass of Joe podcast. As always, joined by Joe Malfi and PJ Glasser. We got our buddy Ryan Warmly back for the third time, Joe. This time as an official First guest. First official, though, yes. Official yes, guest. there we go. So we get even more warm than possible, talking Raven. <laughs> uh, a little bit of Pixar, Marvel movies, and uh, Worm, could he nail his trivia question? We love playing Sporkle with love him. Love it. So you'll have to. That was tune a big staple out. when we were, you know, pre-COVID. We were able to all be in the office at NBC Sports Washington. Yeah. Um, anybody who hasn't heard any previous episodes with Worm, uh, we work with him at NBC. He's the unofficially official Ravens correspondent of the office uh, for whatever Ravens content comes out of our office, which is more than you'd think, considering we're mostly a Washington football team-based uh, organization. Uh, it all goes through him. Articles, anything that goes on air, he's the yep. Ravens guy in the building. We have him on talking plenty of Ravens, but again, like I said, pre-COVID, when we had, whenever we were back there, whenever we'd have downtime at work, we're hopping on Sporkle, going always through do the sport. all different types of things. Yep. So uh, we, we were excited to have him on for his trivia segment, and you will see later if he can get it or not. Before we get to Worm, with a heavy dose of post-mortem on the Ravens, let's get back to that divisional round that we saw this past week. Uh, it kind of pretty much went went chalk. I mean, it did. And the it, crazy thing, Joe, is that all the games were 10 points or more, except for the Chiefs and Browns game, which was a 10 yeah. point game. But then I don't know if you saw the line closed at like Chiefs minus seven. Yeah. So there was something that was fishy going on. Mahomes getting hurt obviously helped all the Browns backers. But man, uh, Cleveland will be kicking themselves at the end of the first half with Rashard Higgins um, fumbling the ball into the end zone. What are your thoughts on that? Rule? That rule, I, that, is worst the worst, that, is, that is the worst rule in the NFL that is easily rectifiable. I put it that way for a specific reason. There's a lot of other rules in the NFL that also stink, but like, I don't know that there's a solution to certain things, or there is, but it's not as easy as you think. That's one that is so simple. Any other part of the field, right? you fumble it out of bounds, you just bring it back to where you fumbled it. Why is it different there? And if you want to say, well, you know, you can't go that far in the other direction of making it an advantage for the offense. Again, first of all, anywhere else on the field, they keep the ball. So why is it different there? But if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to say there's something specially sacred about fumbling it out the end zone instead of just through the sideline, pull them back to the 20-yard line. And make it, sure. you know, if it was if it was first and goal, now you're at second and goal from the twenty. The ball should not change possession for that reason. That and is so. You know stupid. what the the Actually. stupidest part of the rule is, honestly, is if Higgins fumbles that ball and a Browns player's recover Browns player recovers it in the end zone, it goes back to the spot of the fumble, so they don't even exactly. get the touchdown. There's exactly. just it's the the rule. I'm with you. I, you know, if you can't can, advance it, then why is it not your ball? It, it doesn't make any sense at all. And, you know, it happens maybe less than 10 times a season. But when it happens in a magnitude of this game, it obviously brings an yeah. uproar. And, and it, I don't it think really... it cost them the game. I don't think it cost them the game because so much happened after that. Sure. Um, you know, would the Chiefs have played certain things the way they did? Uh, then Mahomes got hurt. So that then turned out to favor the Browns. Like, it's not the reason they lost, but it's still just a frustrating, annoying thing that needs to be rectified in the NFL. And the stones on Andy Reid to go for that fourth and one with Chad Henney at midfield, uh, just bravo to Andy. I mean, I could I never do it. There, look, I know Romo. It was, it, was, it was 
yeah, it was it was great TV with Romo saying, oh, there's no way they're snapping this. There's no way they're snapping this. Look at their body language. They're not moving. It's great TV in that aspect. But I was sitting there saying they're snapping this ball. Like Andy Reid's going for this. I knew they were going for it. I'm not saying I'm some genius here. I just had a gut feeling that he was doing it. Because at the end of the day, I didn't know if, if Henny was going to run up the line and take a quick QB sneak snap. I didn't know what they were going to do. But Andy Reid, that's his MO. He's a risky guy. He is. And when you factor in that Henny is a good veteran who you can trust and all the weapons they have, I think you're stupid not to go for it. Pick up an inch, win the game, done. So I, I, it did not catch me off guard. What I did think they were going to do was take a down call timeout and go from there. Sure. But I thought they were going for it for sure. And on, 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 the, uh, on the possession before that, Cleveland needs to go for, for a fourth down there. I, once you punted the ball back, even though you were on like your own 30-yard line, let the Chiefs kick a field goal. And Butker was struggling, you know, let him make the kick. You're still down eight. You have a chance to score a touchdown and go for two. But, uh, yeah, that, that game, a lot going on. The other game that happened on Sunday, Joe, you had Saints, Bucks, and look, it's a big reason I like Green Bay this week against Tampa, which we'll get into later on. But uh, the turnovers for the Saints just killed them. That great defense of theirs, even they couldn't overcome four turnovers. Tampa Bay scored at least a field goal or a touchdown on each of the turnovers. And that Jared Cook fumble really just flipped everything. The Saints were up a touchdown. They were in control. You give Tampa that life, and you just knew they were going to score. They did, and and it changed everything. It changed the whole game. And, again, even after that, they had plenty of opportunities. Yeah. But that's when it came down to Drew Brees and the noodle arm. And I've said this all year. It's a conversation that I've had with my dad. And he's like, but you could win passing short. You could win it. You, you can do it. Look how all those years with Brady – they, they built it on a short passing game to Edelman and to, to Gronk and Hernandez and, all, and, and Lewis out of the backfield and Falk out of the backfield. You can do it. You can do it if there's even a threat of throwing deep because every now and then he'd still take the top off of the defense with at least a 20-plus yard pass to Gronk in the seam or to somebody on the outside. There right. was never a threat. I mean, Breeze hasn't been able to throw the ball more than 15 yards all season. The interception that – White had when they were trying to target Kamara up the seam. Yes, Kamara went, continued his run when uh, Brees thought he was going to break it off and come back. But the reason that White was able to jump that pass instead of sticking with Kamara up the field is because he knew that Brees was not going to throw it deep. If there was even a threat of Brees throwing it deep, he would yep. not have been able to jump that the way he did. It, it, it just it comes down to Breeze was not able to do what he's done in the past. And I said all year long, it's fine in the regular season. If you get down in the playoffs in crunch time, especially if you're down late in a game and you have to have a vertical passing game, he's not able to do it. And he wasn't able to do it. The only good deep ball we saw all day was the James. Was Janus. That's, <laughs> That's right. That That's was it. the only good one. I, look, I'm with you. And obviously not having Mike Thomas anywhere near uh, 100% killed them. They never of really course. got – Camara, Taysom Hill too. I thought Taysom was it was a huge injury for that game. Sean Payton loves to steal about seven or eight offensive plays with him on the field, and he couldn't go to that. Last thing I'll say about this game, Joe, Devin White is a star. Um, top three middle linebacker in football. He was all over the field, and he's going to need to be that again for Tampa when they face Green Bay. Green Bay took care of their business against the Rams. This was your upset special the weekend. 
But yeah, um, I thought... told you I didn't love it, but I was going to stick with it. It was one of those that I've been, I've been pounding the table for the Rams for, I mean, six plus weeks. And I wasn't going to shy away from it. And I probably should have shied away from it. I well, at least Aaron Donald, was was, I mean, yeah. was hurt. That there was... were certain things in there that didn't help me out in the end, like Donald. Cup was um, hurt. Cup was hurt. But I stuck to my guns, and I'm proud that I did at least. But Look, uh, they made it yeah, a game, it. and then the yeah. defense just could not. That Packers offense, oh, man, are they good. They are good. They are for really the good. That went, for all the games that went under last week, we'll get to it in a bit. You're going to see a lot of points this week, and I'm excited for it. But, you know, those that game was probably, I don't want to say not impacted by the snow, by the weather. But I don't think the weather had as big of an impact in the end as people thought. There was the no, whole thing about there was the whole thing about Goff and his thumb. Goff had a good game. He was a he didn't throw many completions. He was efficient. Yeah. It didn't look like it was a problem. Um, I don't think on either side, you know, for all the talk about the the weather in that game, I don't think it had a big impact. And you know, for thirty two to eighteen, both teams putting up points. The Rams had had some squandered opportunities. I don't think the weather was as big of a factor in that game as people made it out to be. And on the flip side of that. Then obviously the Ravens Bills game, it was a way bigger impact than people thought it was going to sure, be. Sure, yes. Because people were like, me, myself included, I was like, as long as it's not snow and I'm picking the Ravens, we're all focused on is it going to snow? Is it going to snow? Is and it here comes snow? the wind. And it turns out <laughs> out of nowhere that it's a tornado apparently over Orchard Park. Like those games are completely opposite. Everybody thought the weather was going to impact the Rams game. It, it was snowing, but it was more of a like picturesque, fun land. Yeah, footing wasn't snow. an issue at exactly. all. Exactly. But then the Bills, the Bills game against the Ravens, that changed everything, the weather in that one. It did. And, uh, again, that's why a team like Buffalo, a team like Green Bay, a team like if Cleveland or Chicago ever gets a high seed, New England for all those years. I mean, when, when those teams gets it, weather plays such a big factor. And Absolutely. that's why it's such an advantage for teams like that to get the higher seeds. Um, Joe, there was some breaking news, actually, as we recorded this. The Colts offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni, just got hired as the Eagles' new head coach, 39-year-old guy. That's significant because we're just getting ready to talk about Phillip Rivers and how he's retiring, and now the OC for the Colts are moving on. Do you think Drew Brees, uh, it's kind of writing on the wall, it appears. I don't know if you saw, but as Brees was leaving the field, going out of the tunnel, he took one look back inside the Superdome at the field, and I'm like, man, that is uh, – that's the way that's he looked, stuff. It, the way he looked all season long. He put up the numbers. He put up the numbers because, again, like I said, in the regular season, you can be quick, paper-cut offense, efficient – Sure. But even in the regular season, there were games where he got exposed because he had to throw deep down the field. Uh, that game against the Chargers, when they should have lost, if not for Badgley missing multiple field goals, couldn't throw the ball down the field. When they lost to the Raiders, couldn't throw down down the field. So I think for him, it's better to go out now. It's obviously his decision. I can't make a decision for him. But just sure. as far as perception – even though he won a Super Bowl in his last season in the NFL, Peyton Manning, people looked at him that year like, I wish he retired a year earlier Definitely. because he, he was not even close to himself. No. Breeze in the regular season at least looked somewhat himself. You could see in moments he couldn't throw deep. That was it. But he still put up the numbers. It was still fun. Got exposed in the playoffs. And I am afraid that if he tries to hold on for one more year, 
we're going to see Drew Brees against the Bucks for 16 games in the way that we did for Peyton Manning that year. And the only thing that saved Peyton Manning that year was actually was getting defense. hurt because no. by getting, by getting, no, no, by getting hurt, Osweiler came in that year, remember, played a long time. Manning came back for the playoffs fresh, yeah, still couldn't true. do much in the playoffs, but the defense carried them to the title. So I, I hope he's done. And if he is, I mean, that's, that's a heck of a, a Hall of Fame Hell of a career. I wonder if Breeze is watching. I wonder if Breeze is watching tape of Tampa uh, last week leading up to the game. And he's like, Jesus, Tom's 43. And look at what he's putting out on tape. Yeah. I don't, Rogers is over there, 37. He's going to win MVP. So, yeah, looking like Breeze will walk away. What, what a career. Big Ben's really the only question mark left. I think he's going to come back for one more year. Me too. But, uh, man, the Steelers, they, they got to get a run game for them. Um, the O-line needs to be better. But Ben, I just – he's put so much into that organization. Threes, at least, is leaving the Saints knowing that they're still in a great spot. The Steelers, yeah. I mean, if Ben leaves, you're going to turn the keys over to Mason Rudolph? You're going to go get – No, I mean, they, they have to figure something out. And even, right. even the Saints, like, I'm still not 100% sold on – on uh, Taysom Hill, no, and then Jameis Winston. What is what kind of development has he been doing under Breeze? So, but still, it's better than Mason Rudolph. But again, it, it's one of those things where if if either or both decide to walk away, they owe their organizations nothing. Big nah. Ben won them two rings. Sure, Breeze brought him back from Katrina. He got him a ring. Like th- those two guys can step away with no regrets. I wish I could say the same for Rivers. He left it all out there. He played that AFC title game with a torn ACL. Like, he gave it all. I wish it had a ring for him in the end at some point along the way. So he he will maybe never have that mental closure as far as that goes. But as far as Breeze and if Ben, if we get into that discussion with Ben, those two guys, people should not at all talk about, you know, the, the position that they leave their franchises in. It's not his fault that the, that the Steelers have no fallback plan right now. Or it's not the Saints' fault. I mean, it's Breeze's fault that the Saints have two kind of question marks behind him. That should not even be part of the conversation. Real quick, Philip Rivers, Hall of Famer, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. I think he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, too, not just a Hall of Famer. Um, wow. the, for me, the que- you look at the stats side by side, the question would be Eli Manning if he didn't have the two rings. Sure. Uh, but Breeze, I mean, excuse me, uh, Rivers, on his merits, the stats alone, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think there's a question about it. Like I said, from that draft class, the question would be Manning had he not earned both of those Super Bowl rings. Well, a guy who has gotten a lot of votes here on our podcast, Ryan Warmly, making his third appearance this time, his first as an official guest, coming up next. You've seen him as a special guest for some Pixar movies, as a special guest the one time PJ uh, surprised me when we were talking some Ravens. Now we finally have our first official credit for our dear friend, Ryan Wormelly. I refuse to say your name the correct way because <laughs> the other way is more fun. Um, you are, you are. I guess, thinking back to last year, I know things have changed with COVID and this and that, but you're technically our official NBC Sports Washington Ravens correspondent per your writing for them and being on their playoff shows last year when mm-hmm. there were shows because before COVID. So you are our official Ravens correspondent. And we couldn't think of a better time to have you on because of our post- Ravens, uh, Ravens post-mortem discussions from last week. So we have questions, specific questions that PJ and I want to get into about the future of the Ravens. But first, we just got to flesh out the rest of our discussion that we were starting to have on Twitter. 
Now, for listeners who don't follow all three of us on Twitter and didn't want to go down that rabbit hole, kudos to you. You would have wasted your time. But the gist of it is this. After the game, I said that the Ravens have one more year in their window, and then a couple years from now, they're going to be looking at that Lamar contract as an albatross. To which Worm said that there's no thing we've ever seen him do that makes us – there's no evidence that he's going to be an albatross in a couple of years. Which is fair. And the analogy that I went to, for anybody who's seen it, is the movie The Big Short, where Christian Bale's character is like down a thousand percent with his investment. And at the end of the movie, he's up like nine thousand percent with his investment. So I'm like, I, I understand like right now that Lamar is all the hype. And, you know, I'm just looking at it like forest from the trees perspective right now. We sort of started going in different directions. You talked about his efficiency. You talked about all the records he set last year. I'm looking at when it comes down to beating the best teams and looking at the trends of the league that it's a passing league. The four teams in the conference championship games this week are one through four in passing DVOA. Um, And I look at what they've done as a rushing team, which is elite will never be duplicated. Passing wise is my concern. And I stumbled upon the best analogy that I could possibly think of. We kept kicking it around. You know, he's not quite Clayton Kershaw because it's, Kershaw, it's different. It's more just like crumbles under the pressure. Um, we think of James Harden, where his style is great for the video game numbers in the regular season, doesn't do it in the playoffs. We came to that one, and you agreed with that one, sort of worm, where he's got the crazy video game numbers in the regular season, hasn't done it in the playoffs. What I finally stumbled upon that I'm going to stick to is he is Alex Smith with Michael Vick's legs is the best way that I could put it. He's an, a ridiculously efficient passer, and he can do everything he can do on the ground. But in the same way that we never saw Alex Smith elevate past the divisional round, because when it came down to crunch time, passing the ball in a passing league to get to that next level, he couldn't do it. That's the best thing I could come down to. Alex Smith and Michael Vick's legs. And now we'll toss it to both of the Ravens fans to continue this up. <laughs> well, I would just say, first of all, that Alex Smith with Michael Vick's legs is like a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, that's not... That's like, fine, yeah. That's a great asset to have running your offense. And I think just about every team w- would be happy to jump on that. I think... I just think Lamar's Lamar. I don't really think you can compare him to exactly. anybody. It's so unique. It's and he's doing this to... He's doing this at such a young age. I don't really remember how old Smith was when he started getting to championship games with Harbaugh, but, I mean, he wasn't 23 or 24 years old. Yeah, I mean, he was so. drafted in 05, yeah. and they were going to those championship games. I don't, I don't mean it as far as that. 2011, 2012, right. I just mean to what we were saying. No, I get what you're as, saying. As far as, as – far as, the, the big sticking point for you believing in Lamar is his efficiency. But efficiency doesn't win you the championship. We've seen that. It's the guy who's going to put the team on his back and throw for 400 yards. Um, we haven't seen a team who's run first off the top of my head win a Super Bowl since probably the Giants beat the undefeated Patriots with a three-headed monster of Bradshaw Jacobs. And why am I blanking on the third? Who was the third guy for them? Bradshaw Jacobs doesn't matter, but that was the last big run first run heavy team that won the Super Bowl. But to your earlier point, Joe, there may have been other teams that, uh, or there may not have been other teams that have run the ball as much as the Ravens do that have won the Super Bowl recently, but there also haven't been any other teams recently, maybe ever that have run the ball as effectively as the Ravens have. One of the interesting points that I've heard the Ravens coaches make, and I've heard some other like, 
that these football outsiders, PFF type analytical minds make is, you know, the reason that passing is better than, and then rushing in the modern NFL is it's more efficient, but it's not that passing is so efficient. It's that running is pretty inefficient by and large. Whereas the Ravens, their rushing game is so efficient. It is basically the the most prolific, efficient running game in the history of the NFL that if, if all teams could run as effectively as the Ravens do, then the analytical models that are as pro pass as it gets would say they should run a lot because it is more effective. And there is a slightly less, you know, you're probably not going to have as many turnovers if you're just running versus passing the ball. So like just on the margins, it's a little better, but if the efficiency is close to the same, which the Ravens were last season, and I have no reason to believe they can't be again going forward as long as they fix this offensive line, then it actually is still efficient and the smart analytical choice to run the ball a ton, maybe not like 80, 20, but to still run way more than any other team. If it's as effective as it has been. Now, to me, as, as Shrek so eloquently described ogres, they're like onions with layers. I think this has many layers to it as well. And this is something that we've talked about with PJ. So you chime in too. Um, when it comes to the regular season, there's a big advantage for the Ravens because if, they, if, a team, if they're sandwiched between two teams that, have, that are not running an offense close to theirs, and there's nobody in the league that runs an offense similar to the Ravens, it's a tougher preparation. Come to playoff time, when the coaches, it's that, that's all they care about. They don't care the week beyond. They don't care about the week before. And odds are, you know, unless they themselves get the bye, odds are the Ravens at some point are going to run into a team coming off a bye where they have an extra week to prepare for that Ravens offense. It's also sets up as a bad spot as what we've seen where they're able to stop Lamar. They're able to force him to throw the ball. Even in that Titans game, you know, they – they, for the most part, took away the pass and forced them to run. Now, they couldn't really stop the run either because the Titans' defense was just atrocious. But uh, it, it comes down to that part, too. And, PJ, you, you touched on that when we were talking last week, that it comes down to being able to have that just focus on that one game and can the Ravens adapt with Greg Roman to, to be able to counter that. The Ravens are the biggest rhythm offense in football. They can't, they can't afford to have a 10-yard sack and then try and – counteract that they did it one time when it was third and 17 but their best drive in the bills game was the opening drive of the game they went six or seven straight runs they went right down the field and then lamar took that sack and it really it flipped everything they had to settle for the field goal tuck hits the post and then once justin tucker misses a 40 yarder you just can't like your chances of winning a game but the Ravens' best drive of the entire postseason was their first one out of the locker room against the Titans. It was rhythm with the run. It was pass. Greg Roman came out of halftime, and he realized that he had to go quick passing game, and it was beautiful. And they marched themselves down the field. And just in the Bills game, they could not get into that rhythm. There were too many plays that were negative plays on first down and they just didn't have enough to to come back from that Lamar too looked a little off I don't know what it was about him but he, he just quite didn't look like himself maybe it was just the constant pressure that was in his face maybe it was the wind that was bothering him I don't know what it was but he just he wasn't quite himself one thing I'll mention too that is quite interesting The teams that are left in the AFC and NFC championship games, we all talk about the quarterbacks, but they all have number one receivers left. The Chiefs have Hill, the Packers have Adams, the Bucks have Evans, and the Bills have Diggs. 
You look at the teams that lost in the divisional round. The Rams have Robert Woods, good, solid receiver, not a number one. Cooper Cup, when he's healthy, same thing, good receiver, maybe not a number one. The Ravens have Hollywood, not a number one. The Browns have Jarvis Landry, good receiver, not really a number one. He's a good complement. And then the Saints have Thomas, but he was not nearly himself. Yeah, he had two surgeries this past yeah. week. Two too, surgeries, so right. And, so and to that the point Ravens too, need, like, need to get a good receiver. Exactly. The reason, like, I, I don't – there's a lot of – look, there's a lot of trolls out there who will totally write off Lamar. They want him already cut or, like, move the Ravens to move on from him. That's just asinine. Anybody who thought he shouldn't be a quarterback, stupid. Anybody who thinks that he can't win uh, – he can't win the playoffs – is stupid my thing is that i don't think he could take it to that next level and consistently beat those other top teams in games so it's that this week in games where the spread was three points or fewer either way so like when they're going up against somebody that they're punching at their weight he's six and six straight up so a lot of different factors in that game but he hasn't really taken the step to elevate his team to another level in that sense yet but I'm waiting like you i, I want to see what they could do with the number one receiver but it, it goes back to what, again, another thing we were talking about, what a lot of people see with this team that it's predicated on the tight ends. So how it's going to help. I mean, it's not going to hurt, obviously, adding an Allen Robinson to the equation. But the question is, how much will it help considering that his, he's most efficient when he's throwing between the numbers to the t- How many times has he hit Andrews and Boyle and last year Hurt, Hurst, where that's when he's at his best? So what, how if, if, how much more effective will he be with a Robinson? I would say to some degree more, but when his bread and butter is inside like that, is that the way to go? Maybe the way to go is to get another tight end after they traded away Hurst, which I never agree with in the first place. But I mean, first of all, they have, he has elevated the team to an, a level where they can beat the great teams in the league because we saw it in all of 2019, they went 14 and two. It was a fluky game in, in the Tennessee loss. Like, like that was a, a Murphy's law. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong situation for them. I'm not going to uh, let that game be a referendum on his career, but the entire regular season, I mean, they, they won at Seattle against Russell Wilson. They beat the San Francisco 49ers who were probably one of the two best teams in football. And that was, in, that was in a downpour, you know, tough environment game. And, and he was able to lead them to a victory. So we have seen him play up to that level. And even the first two chiefs matchups, were close games. The, this, the one from week three of the 2020 season was an absolute shellacking, and, and it, the Ravens just didn't even belong in the same field as Kansas City that night. But those other two matchups, it's not like he was so thoroughly outclassed that you would say he can't you know, elevate them to the level that they need to be at. So I, I think that it's, it's really like, like PJ mentioned, the, the pressure problems against Buffalo. I don't think you can hammer home enough just how much the offensive line hurt them this season. And again, of course, but again, in those games, wins are wins in the regular season. And again, my question is, and it's still a small sample size, but at some point it's going to start becoming a trend, not a small sample size. In those Seattle and San Francisco games, Seattle, he was 9 for 20 for 143. He did run for 116 yards. And in the San Francisco game, he was 14 of 23 for 105. He did run for 101 yards. So in the regular season – you see him go off for those 100-plus-yard games. And the, my fear with him is – and, again, I'm, I don't hate him. I, I want to see you guys enjoy the Ravens. I troll you guys all the time because it's funny. But um, 
when it comes to the playoffs, I don't see him running for 100-plus yards because defenses can key in on that and focus only on that, not worrying about what the next opponent is or the previous opponent. So if he can't run for 116 like he did against Seattle or 101 like he did against San Fran, and it's just that 9 for 20 for 143 and 14 for 23 for 105, is that going to win divisional rounds, AFC championship games, and so on? Well, I, I will say in that Seattle game, I'm pretty sure that was the game where Mark Andrews had like six drops. It was like an absolutely brutal performance. Yeah. So his completion percentage could have been a lot higher. And, and also when you look at the postseason, like I technically you are right. He hasn't had a great passing performance in the postseason outside of the first game against Tennessee, which was largely in garbage time. A lot of those passing numbers, yeah. but, but I will point out he's played four postseason games. One of them was as a 21 year old in an offense that was built for Joe Flacco, where they literally didn't let him that try to throw. throw out. I'm yeah, throwing that, that out throw. right away. Like I don't, I don't even listen to that when people use that as an argument no. against him. So really, in my mind, he's one and two in the playoffs because I just could not care less about that first one. And then in in the most recent one, in the loss of the Bills, Josh Allen wasn't passing the ball well either. That was a brutal no. wind game. I mean, how often do you see four missed field goals between the two games? two coming from the goat kicker. I mean, I'm, I'm just not going to hold that against him that they keyed in on stopping the run because both teams knew that the other side wasn't going to be able to pass the ball effectively at all during that game. So I really only look at two games where I feel like he's even had a chance to, to show what he can be as a passer in the postseason. Those both happen to come against Tennessee. That's fair. I, I just, you know, and I look at the game against Buffalo and again, this is my problem with Greg Roman, like in, in the regular season, if you want to have a vanilla offense and you just know that the the lesser teams in the league won't be able to stop our run game, fine. In the playoffs, though, sometimes it's just one or two games that decide the game. We saw that in Tennessee. It was Lamar's 50-yard scramble that really flipped the game on its head. I mean, Worm, how many times this year did you see Greg Roman throw a wide receiver screen or use Lamar as a decoy like the Saints did with Jameis Winston? One play where they got a touchdown out of it. Lamar is such a weapon that you can use him as a decoy, maybe run him to the side, have a wide receiver come back, toss it to him and have the wide receiver throw it or something the, the bills were so good at stopping our set offense and what we were going to do that that was a kind of game where you maybe needed to run one or two or three kind of trick plays to gain chunk yardage to really try and score a touchdown in that game and and that's that's where I think that he just you know Roman just doesn't do that he doesn't run trick plays and in a game like that I think you you kind of need to run something to gain a big play you know you're you're right that I do think he could do more with the you know extra you know creative type of play calling I think that Roman is a decent play caller I don't know and and it's really hard for casual fans to know about like the route tree combinations in each play and, and what the actual play design is. So I, it kind of bothers me when I see people on Twitter say things like, Oh, he's running too many tight yeah. formations. That's the issue. Like, like, don't we really know? Probably not. <laughs> um, it, it does feel like a lot of times there are receivers in places that I'm, I'm confused as to why they would have two so near each other or whatever the situation is. But I think, and this is sort of piggybacking off Joe's, you know, he mentioned Allen Robinson. And of course, Ravens fans everywhere have been, you know, clamoring for a wide receiver for years. It's the only position that they have never had a Pro Bowl player at. They had Jacoby Jones and Jermaine Lewis, both as returners. They have never had a Pro Bowl receiver. 
So obviously it's been a big bugaboo for a long time, but I almost wonder if it's, it's almost like a chicken and egg situation. Do, does Lamar not throw to the receivers because they aren't developing well enough or are they not developing because they're not getting their chances on the field? It's hard to say what, you know, what the right answer is there, but I do think it's notable that like PJ said, it's not just these final four teams. Think about every elite quarterback in the last decade. How many of them don't have a number one receiver? The only one is, is Brady, Brady, really. Yeah. And, he, Gronk, and, so. and Brady had Gronk. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's the greatest tight end of all time. So, like, yeah, there's they're really, like, I, I literally cannot think of any examples of somebody that didn't have at least one. Like, that's a stud receiver that I'm going to draft in the top three rounds of fantasy that I know can go be, play that exposition and win outside and win deep and all that. The Panthers, Cam Newton, Super Bowl team, that was the – outside of Brady, that's, like, the only other one that I can yeah. think of. Yeah, that, 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 that is a good example. And, and even he, that was sort of a, a fluke here. Not, not a fluke, like he earned his MVP and, and they earned their trip to the Super Bowl, but that is definitely his career season. It's not like he's ever been close to that before. It's just really hard to do if you don't have the pieces. And the, the Ravens this season, last season, they had the offensive line at least, but in 2020, they didn't have the receivers or the offensive line. And I, like Lamar is basically Superman, but like there's only so much Superman can do. Of course. Now we pretty much put a bow on that Lamar conversation. So now to some specific questions about the Ravens uh, going forward, instead of looking back, we've touched on it a little bit, but would you say O-line depth or number one receiver? We touched on it a little bit. If you could pick one or the two, now they have obviously avenues to address both via free agency and the draft, but pick one of the two, which would you say is a higher priority? You know, I, I had a feeling you were going to ask me this exact question, <laughs> and it is really a tough one to answer because I think there are very compelling arguments for either one. I think in the past, I would have said offensive line, no matter what, like without hesitation. But seeing what Stefan Diggs for, did for Josh Allen this season is sort of like such a clear example of a guy who is, a, who is athletic and has the skill and arm talent, but he's very erratic getting this one guy and not only getting digs and having an immediate connection with him, but seeing the other receivers all excel because they were sort of moved down a spot in the pecking order. I mean, think about Hollywood as a number two receiver instead of a number one, and all of a sudden he looks like one of the better number two receivers in football. So, so many different things can be impacted in a positive way. If you just get that one superstar receiver, having said that I have said many times that, if you look over the course of NFL history at any disappointing team, especially offensively, you can almost always point to the offensive line. You can have great skill talent. You can have even a great quarterback. But if you have an offensive line that is as bad as the Ravens did play on occasion this season, they did have their moments. I think Orlando Brown looked really you know, much better at left tackle than we expected him to. You know, they, Bradley Bozeman, I think, is a totally fine, solid left guard. So they had a couple pieces. But, but by and large, this was a huge step down in the offensive line play from the season before. There is just no overcoming that. It, like Lamar, I thought, really struggled with his decision-making in the Bills game in terms of when to throw the ball away. And he took a couple of really critical sacks. But I also can't really blame him because there were three Bills in the backfield within a half second of every play, it felt like. There was just nothing the Ravens could do. So that's sort of a long-winded way of saying, in the past, I would have said offensive line no matter what. Now I'm a real lot closer to 50, 50, but I think like 51, 49, I would still go with the offensive line. And, and the great news is they have the tackles. They have R Ronnie Stanley coming back and Zeus who are maybe the best tackle tandem in the entire NFL. They have a fine left guard. It's really only two spots on the offensive line. And, and you figure if you get one of those solved, you, you probably have enough 
pieces that you've drafted in recent seasons, like, you know, the Bredesens and Tyree Phillips that can, you know, maybe you rotate them in at right guard and see who, who fits the best. But I, I think if you can find a great center, I don't know your boy, uh, PJ from, from Alabama, um, if he's coming back healthy. Landon Dickerson, Dickerson, yeah. Or, yeah. He played for the draft Dickerson. already. Um, yeah, yeah, he did great. declare. Or just I, get I, somebody who can fit, snap so. the ball into Lamar's <laughs> chest. That's all you need. What, how crazy is it that two different centers got the gift? That's what I'm saying. Ball. Honestly, I thought our best center might have been Cologne Castillo, who played in the Steelers game mm-hmm. when all the dudes had COVID. Do you remember RG3 or McSorley really having a bad snap back to them? And like, give this kid a chance. I mean, <laughs> just give him somebody who can snap the ball. I don't I care mean, if that guy can't block anybody as long as he gets to just snap. Just give there. him That's a snap. It's I, I, I mean, in the NFL, to just be worried about the snap really, really is a problem. And something that the three of us were texting about, too, if Lamar's got to find a way to get himself comfortable under center because mm-hmm. – when Harbaugh is yeah. telling Michelle Tafoya that the wind is bothering the snap and shotgun, I mean, that's that's problemsome. So, and w- they ran one eye formation play when I think it was Dobbins who had it, and he ran for like 11 yards and they never went back to it. And I just didn't understand that. So, they, they, they got to get back into power football more so. And Lamar's got to get more comfortable in her and, and I will also say, I don't see any reason why, you know, like the old meme of why not both, like, they should address the interior offensive line and they should address receiver. Now you're not going to be able to get a, you know, an established pro bowler at, at both positions. But the, the thing about picking in the back of the first round, which is the Ravens are at 27 overall this year is like, you can get the fifth or sixth best receiver probably, especially in this class. I mean, so many of those guys are going to go really high, like the Smiths and the chases and the waddles. So you can get like the fifth or sixth best guy at receiver. You can probably get the best center. It's, it's pretty rare that a center goes in the top 20, um, maybe the early 20s if there's a team in need and they're really, That's really around the center. mid range. Right. You, you can yeah. probably get one at 20. I really wanted Cesar Ruiz last season and he went at 26, a couple picks before the Ravens yeah. were on the clock. Last I'm not year complaining so. about Patrick Queen. I, I'll draft him a hundred times out of a hundred. And that was a position need, but, but no, the point, no, I hear what you're saying. You, you could tell that interior offensive line was an area that Definitely. They, they could upgrade last off season. Now they, it's not that they can upgrade it this off season. They, they need they to have to. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, so maybe you go out and you get, you, you take a flyer on Kenny Galladay coming off injury or, or, you know, you, maybe you convince Allen Robinson to come play with, with finally an actual good quarterback for the first time since high school. And then you can draft the top center at, you know, those guys typically, typically can make an impact right away. Right. You know, it's not like you're going to have to wait for him to develop for a few years. And, and to Joe's point, I don't think Lamar's contract is going to be an albatross in a few years, but next season is definitely the best chance in terms of how the money will be allocated before his big contract extension that you can go quote unquote all in on a Super Bowl. So I, I would be totally fine paying a receiver and drafting a center first. Um, in fact, that would probably be my preferred method. Talking about next season, Worm, I mean, are the Ravens the, the favorites in the AFC behind the Chiefs even? Would you put them ahead of the Bills? Do you still put the Bills ahead of them? You got to figure it'll be the Ravens, Chiefs, Bills, Titans, um indianapolis now that rivers is retired i've told joe i think if mac jones goes to indianapolis i think they win a super bowl within the next three years there are just certain players that fit so well with teams and i just look at indianapolis and i think if mac goes there he could be a great fit the chargers i mean we'll see with the new head coach herbert obviously was so impressive um 
But are the Ravens the, the second or third team, you think, in the AFC in the pecking order? And, and this is without projecting what could happen in free agency in the draft. Just Correct. general baseline and what you know each team's going to have as far as the foundation. Because we can have this conversation today and by next week with all the rumors swirling around it and all the videos that his agent has been putting on Twitter. By next week, Deshaun Watson could be on the Jets. And I'm not just saying that as a homer. So just like, right, well, you're right a little now, found, a little bit, but like right now, <laughs> foundationally behind the Chiefs and the Bills. I, I don't know that I would put them behind the Bills. I mean, the last two seasons they've played twice. Each team has won once. And the game that the Ravens lost was in, again, incredibly fluky weather. You know, if, if he had better protection on the play before the pick six, then he's probably hitting Hollywood Brown and that's a 10-10 game. So I'm not taking a 14-point loss from last weekend and saying, oh, the Bills are clearly like ahead of the, the Ravens here. And I also think, I know we're not projecting any specific additions, but like Eric DaCosta is somebody that I definitely trust as a Ravens fan to, to find holes and attack them. I mean, we saw that last season with the run defense, like they got run all over by Derrick Henry. So he adds Derrick Wolf and Patrick Queen and Calais Campbell. And all of a sudden they're able to shut down Derrick Henry you know, when they see him in the playoffs again the next season. So I, I do think that this team will be better than it was this season. I think he will address the offensive issues in some capacity. And I think if I was saying who I thought the best team was in the AFC behind the Chiefs, obviously, I would say the Ravens. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to finish, you know, as the two seed. Doesn't even guarantee that they win the division because it's going to be a tough division. And, you know, not only are the Steelers and, and Browns always going to be at least somewhat of a challenge not always in that past for the Browns, but now going forward, look like they're going to be a, a challenge, but the Bengals, I mean, Joe Burrow could take that second year leap, even coming off the injury. So like, it's not a guarantee that they, they waltz to 13 wins and, and a, a you know, spot in, in the AFC championship game next year. Cause obviously they haven't even done that the last two years, but I do think if I was building out like just the pure talent on the rosters in all these teams and Lamar obviously is, is the, the biggest key to it all. I think he's probably somewhere in between what we saw in 2019 and what we saw in 2020. And so if 2020 is the quote unquote down year and they still go 11 and five while dealing with the COVID issues, while dealing with terrible injuries, while figuring out how to rebuild this offensive line on the fly while having a bottom five receiving core, like it's hard for me to think that they're going to be too much worse than that. That's a pretty good baseline to be working from. But the other side of it is the quarterback talent. And a few other people have noted this I've seen online. We've written about it at NBC the quarterback talent is absolutely outrageous in the AFC yeah, right now. It is. I was going to actually ask you about that. Uh, specifically, this past week, we saw uh, on the NFC side, we had Rodgers, we had Brady, we had Breeze, we had Goff, but we'll throw him aside. But mm-hmm. of the big three we saw in the NFC, all older guys. In the AFC, we saw Lamar, Baker, and Josh Allen. Forget Mahomes because he's on another level, but just among those three guys. Mm-hmm. The parallels between the two, do, do you, for each of those three guys, and just quick answer here, um, just gut feeling, of those three guys, Baker, Josh Allen, Lamar, do you see those three possibly being, not necessarily on their level of greatness, but being three playoff stalwarts, or do you see them more along the lines of Wentz and Goff the last few years where they had their big season and then they pulled back and they were kind of, you know, ebbs and flows? Which, which track do you see each of those three guys taking? I would say that the easiest two to answer that for are Lamar and Allen. Cause a, I think they're clearly uh, you know, a level above Mayfield right now. And b- listen, Baker had a strong season, but as the season went on, he definitely started to click better with Stefanski. I don't know if it's like a Ewing theory with Odell going down with injury, but like they did look pretty good the second half of the season. Um, 
But again, Lamar is the reigning unanimous MVP. Like Josh Allen just had an MVP candidate type season. So I think those two are definitely a step ahead. But more importantly, I have a lot more faith in those organizations. So when you ask if these guys are going to be playoff stalwarts, I think yes, just because the Ravens have been a playoff stalwart. They've, they've made nine of 13 uh, you know, playoffs since John Harbaugh came to town. The Bills, I think Sean McDermott looks like a great coach. Um, you know, their, their GM is really good. As long as Dayball is staying, which is for at least this next season, like I, I think they have a really, really strong coaching staff. So I definitely expect both of those organizations to not only be in the playoffs, but be in the second round of the playoffs and be competing for the conference championship for the next, you know, five to six years at the very least. The Browns are trickier because historically they've been so bad i mean i don't really know yeah. what, what the nicest way is to put it they just have been a the laughing stock of the nfl for decades um but i do believe that they can be a regular uh, contender i i think that the depth in the afc because I mean, you get into guys like herbert Tannehill has played like a top 10 quarterback the last season and a half they're gonna add trevor lawrence maybe justin fields comes to the conference as well like there is just such a, you know Tua obviously is is not going to be coming off an injury next Sean Watson. Maybe. Yeah. I didn't even think it's Sean. Like, like there's so many people in this, there's so many quarterbacks in this conference that I saw somebody make the comparison that I think is really great that the AFC is going to be like the NBA's Western conference going forward. Um, And it really does feel like that because the the NFC it's, you have Kyler Russ is still like 32, 33. That's really it for guys. You believe in I mean, mean, you see the three big guys that are, that played last week are all aging out. So so, that's, so, that's so th- again, that's a long-winded way of saying definitely I believe that for the Bills and Ravens and the Browns, I believe that they will be in the conversation most seasons, but like they could be the, the uh, one of those fringe like seven seed, eight seed, nine seed, like in that range year in a year out, despite winning 10 games like that. That's how strong the AFC could be moving forward. All right, where I'm your friend of the pod, you listen to it, you know what comes next, Switch 7 and Trivia. Uh, you oh. see the little clock ticking down there because we're still broke and not paying for the upgrade <laughs> Zoom. So we got eight and a half minutes here. Let's get into the Swift 7. Favorite sports memory from when you were at UMD? Um, uh, the only time I got to rush the court, which was uh, the very last home game I went to against UVA, who was a top five team at the time. And I hate UVA more than even Duke because I'm from Virginia. My parents went to Virginia Tech, so did my sister and brother-in-law. So getting to rush the court in the final ACC game that Maryland ever played uh, was pretty cool. All right. Favorite moment in Ravens history that has nothing to do with the Super Bowls, because obviously those are the top two. If it, if it doesn't have to be in the Super Bowl game, but it can be a part of the run, then the Mile High Miracle is the, yeah. is the obvious choice. I watched that at a bowling alley with the TV on over the lanes with my family in New <laughs> Jersey. And I was like, I will never forget that moment. All right. Over under two and a half rings from a homes in the span that started last year. So basically, will he win two of the next four? I go with five year span because personally, I think a five year run kind of constitutes a dynasty. So essentially the question is, do you think he'll win two of the next four? Yes or no? I hate how little hesitation I have here, but over. <laughs> all right. I, I agree 100%. Four, of all the Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar movies, all of them, you get to watch one on a loop for the rest of your life. Which one is it? Uh, the Incredibles. All right. Dude, but there are, the Incredibles. There's, there's, some, there's a lot of good competition there. That, that's one that if you ask me again tomorrow, I might have a completely different answer. <laughs> uh, Worm, favorite Ravens player of all time? Torrey Smith. Really? From Virginia, Ed, like me, a Terp, like me, uh, you know, obviously a Raven, a big fan, um, and just like an awesome dude, and like a yeah. great, like he, he might, he's probably my favorite athlete of all time. 
Nice. Uh, sports venue you most want to get to that you haven't been to? Ooh. I'm not really a tennis guy, but I walked outside Wimbledon uh, when I went to visit Europe um, back uh, freshman year, after freshman year of college. And it just felt very historic being there. I'd really like to see, you know, actually go into Wimbledon. And- That's number one currently on my list. Really? And, yeah. And pick to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to say the Bills. Just they, they have a team of destiny feeling. I don't think they've played their best game yet in the playoffs. Um, I think they are one of the few teams that can go toe-to-toe with KC's offense if things are clicking on the right day. And Stephon Diggs is a Terp. So, ter- you know, True. I do think- it'd, be, it'd be impressive if the Bills could win it because that means they're beating Patrick Mahomes mm. and then either Brady or Rodgers. That would be impressive. I, I, for whatever reason, I just I have this really gut feeling that it's not going to – like I just don't see Brady winning the Super Bowl this year. They are the first team I'm ruling out. Not I'm enough people are before. talking about the fact that if they win, they get a home game. Like that's never happened before, and yeah. nobody's that's talking true. about that. But but it's a home game in a year where they're not going to yeah, have. That's fans. that's true too. Well, well, I guess Florida maybe they will. They have do some have fans. fans. They've been having yeah. fans all year. But not, um, yeah. not Worm, we got five and a half minutes left. You know the trivia is how we end our interviews. Make it. I made it real simple for you. Do you know the five leading wide receivers in Ravens history? In terms of uh, yards. In terms of yards. 90 yeah, seconds probably not but we'll, we'll give it a try <laughs> i'm gonna be uh, honest with you one of them is is gonna be surprising the other four you probably should get and these are receivers right not just any pass catchers no these pass can be catchers. receivers tight ends okay, okay. Yeah. all receiving yards okay yes um Derek mason that number he is one. number one so he's the easy one it's hard to tell because so many of them it's like like Bolden was great, but he was only there a couple years. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna guess my guy Tory. Tory's number, number three. three. That is correct. Okay. Still got all three of your strikes. Only thirty seconds in, or twenty seconds. Excuse me. Can't do math. Um, did I, heap just from longevity? Number two. Uh, number two. Number two. Okay. Okay. Ooh, I feel good. I feel good. I don't feel good going forward though. Um. Did Ray Rice? Yes, yes five. That one was one. the tough one. <laughs> oh, okay. You How should get it. You should get it now. You're forty-five uh, seconds into it. Steve Smith? Nah, not Steve. Years? Nah, I'm trying to think who. Again, all, all the guys that I think of are the best. We're not there very long. Once it comes to you, you'll you'll know it. If it comes to me. If it comes to you. <laughs> um. 30 seconds. So I got two strikes to work with too. If you want to throw out a name. Let's say, I mean, uh, God. I, I know he wasn't there a lot Bolden. No, I'll, I'll say okay. one strike. You got 10 one seconds left. left. 10 uh, seconds left. Throw uh, Hail Mary. I'm going to get so, I'm going to get so close. Mark Clayton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Mark Clayton. <laughs> Well oh my done. God, I, at the buzzer. Uh, that was Mason, amazing. Mason was 5,777. Heap was 5,492. And then there was a big drop off. Tory was close to uh, 3,600. Clayton was just over 3,100. And then Ray Rice, 3,034. Wow. Ray Rice, I did not, I, that I did not know. I saw that and I'm like, did he really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just like, 
how many dump offs did Joe Flacco have to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Flacco was so confident in Ray Rice's receiving ability that on fourth and 29, he dumped it off to him. Yeah. And he got it. I mean, that's, that's true. Like, obviously, there's, a, there's the off field stuff with the Rice, but like when he was playing in his prime, like he was as fun a dual threat uh, running back as the Ravens have ever had. Of course. Yeah. And Where, now PJ just yeah. started his Marvel movies, so we could get on him for that going forward but i uh, cannot believe that you know what it was you know what what it was is because i always had this thought that like marvel was kind of like star wars and i just never got into star wars so i'm like i don't think i'd like the marvel movies but then my brother was watching them uh the past couple weeks and he's like oh these are good Wait, so can, can you clarify the order you're watching them? Because I was confused with the way you were texting. Are you watching them in like chronological, like, oh, Captain America took place in World War One? Yes. Or are you watching them like in the order they were released? The movies? The order that they were released. So oh, okay. Captain America and the first Avenger was first. Then Captain Marvel was second. No, but, but Iron Man. Oh, 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 you're watching it in chronological Yeah, order. you're not watching You're watching it in order. timeline order. You're not watching timeline, it in release yes. order. Okay. Yes. okay. That's fine, too. I, 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 would say, I would say chronological as far as time periods for this one i would go with if you're new to it just because i think it, i think it's a great way to watch it i know worm you're a big advocate of watching it in the order they were released but with the benefit yeah. of being new to the party and late to the party i think i would have watched it in timeline order too i i will say that i'm more comfortable with the chronological order with marvel than i am for star wars i think star Fair. wars you have to go release order because you're not going to appreciate the prequels and the rise of darth vader if you haven't experienced him as this incredible villain in the middle movies. So I, I am more okay with it with Marvel than, than I would have been if this was happening for Star Wars. All right, and we're very okay with how you performed today. So we might yeah, actually have you back nice, instead of a nice guest job. spot, like a hey, surprise. So that's, that's three, three appearances on here. Is, is that the, the- That is the most, that is the most. If you're, counting your, if you're counting your little peekaboos that you had in there for, for Pixar as, and some Ravens talk. Pixar concierge. <laughs> Good seeing right, you, Worm. Take it easy. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Once again, that was Ryan warmly, and he did nail his trivia question, Joe. Right Ray Rice, I mean, who would have thunk it? I looked at that trivia question, and I was trying to think of something that would be good to worm. I knew we'd be talking about whether or not the Ravens needed a receiver. And I'm like, let me see who the top five guys of all time are for the Ravens receiving yards. I knew Mason would be up there and Tory. I had a fig- feeling Mark Clayton, Todd Heap, but Ray Rice, I'm like, I don't know if Worm's going to get that. And I saw you type that one, put that one in for him. I I, I got three of them, but those last two of Clayton and Rice, no shot. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not a Ravens fan, obviously, so tougher for me, but I I still wasn't sure if he would get Ray Rice being that, you know, again, all the off-field stuff, his career cut short by his own fault, obviously. Um, I didn't know if that would pop into the mind. It didn't pop into my mind, certainly. I didn't think he was there long enough. But again, it goes back to the larger issue that, the Ravens have not had yes. that caliber of receiver ever. No. So when, when that is your all-time receiving list, it's kind of embarrassing, actually. A little but, bit. I mean, uh, not, hey, not know, good to have running backs. Not good to have running backs on the all-time receiving list. Um, all right, Joe. Now, we talked about the, uh, the Nick Sirianni move and him going to the Eagles now. The Texans are the last head coaching spot available and they're trying to make this big decision with Deshaun Watson and it seems like pretty much every team in the league other than maybe six or seven or really should make a phone call to Houston and your Jets absolutely have the best package by far um 
if it's Look, I not mentioned it. I the mentioned Jets, it. yeah, if it's not the Jets, which team would you say you're you're most worried about? I mentioned it before when we were talking with Worm, and obviously, like there's there's homerism coming through that I want him to be a Jet, Sean Watson. But if the report is true that they want at least three first round picks, the Jets and the Dolphins are the two best teams Definitely. as far as a trade partner. Yes. Now, as far as teams who should make the call, the Niners should be on the phone. The Colts should be on the phone, but there's no way they're trading him in division. So scratch the Colts off yeah, the list. Forget about that conjecture. Um, I Washington. really think Washington should be <laughs> on the list. I was just going to say, I really think Washington should pick up the phone. Definitely. Um, but the two best teams for it would be the Dolphins and the Jets. Now, the Dolphins are an interesting question mark because I think they're sold on Tua. We're sold on Tua. And I think yes. the, general, the general consensus is that he showed who he is in a couple of big games this year when they let him loose. He struggled when they tried to put a leash on him and you know, uh, just different um, kind, of, kind of make him a game manager that he's not. So when he has a full offseason, and not just the full offseason of like, being in the NFL, full offseason where he could actually do stuff because he couldn't actually do stuff recovering from the hip injury. So now that he has a full offseason, I think he's fine. I think the Dolphins would be better suited to actually use the picks they have and just build a ridiculous I'm team around you. him. So it leaves the Jets. And obviously I'm a homer, so I'm going to come across like that. But I'm glad you kind of agree with me and back me up so it's not just the homerism talking here. Uh, they have two first-round picks this year. The number two pick, they got the Seattle pick. Mm-hmm. Next year they have their pick in this Seattle pick and obviously beyond that they have all of their own picks so if the if they want to not go ahead and jeopardize 2023 you can just pick three of these next four first right the number two pick both Seattle picks done and, and in that case contextually you're you essentially traded Jamal Adams in the number two pick for Deshaun Watson that's a home run but as far as starting to link the connect all the dots it's hard not to start finding that breadcrumb trail lead to the Jets. Richard Sherman went on a podcast, and he basically – he straight up said, if I'm Deshaun, I'm trying to find a way to, to New York. Now, that's a guy in Richard Sherman who played under Sala, who yeah. if I had to bet today, Richard Sherman will be a Jet week one next season because he is a free agent, and he probably wants to follow Sala, and the Jets need a corner. Mm-hmm. So this is – it was essentially legal tampering because Richard Sherman's not tied to a team at the moment. And he knows he's probably going to end up with the Jets. So he's trying to steer Deshaun there. But now as the reports about the Texans have been coming out in, in the Deshaun breakup, I guess we could call it a start, the, the, the early rumblings of a breakup, not official yet, obviously. Um, he wanted them to interview Sala and be enemy. First two guys, he wanted Sala. They didn't even interview Sala. Then they only interviewed Bienemy after he came out and said that he wanted Bienemy and they didn't even interview him. So if his top coach that he wants to play with is Salah, who is he coaching? The Jets. Uh, Richard Sherman is pointing him to the Jets. The Jets have the best package to offer. The Jets, if they get him, still have $70 million in cap space to now surround him with Allen Robinson and put Joe Thune at, at, at guard. Uh, oh, by the way, Deshaun Watson has been liking on Twitter and Instagram, jersey swaps of him in Jets uniforms. Oh, by the way, his agent has been posting videos in which he's directly referencing the Jets on his Instagram and on his Twitter, and he's liking Jets content. Oh, by the way, he's really good friends with James Harden, who just also forced his way from Houston to New York. So all of these things 
are just giant arrows towards it happening. Now, whether it does or doesn't happen, that's up to the Texans. If they do want to truly move on from him or they would rather appease all of his demands, which they should absolutely do. He's a great character guy. If you read the backstory on the Texans with guy Easterby and their ownership, they have just done a great job of alienating everyone from Andre Johnson to Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins to J.J. Watt. They've alienated everybody. So if they change their ways, maybe he stays. Conventional wisdom still might say the most logical explanation is he stays. But if not, and I'm, I'm getting way too excited about it, only to probably get let down in the end. But it is it makes too much sense. And, and it, it would be a total seismic shift in the AFC because – for what we were talking about earlier, as far as the favorites, um, you all of a sudden have to start talking about the Jets as, as being one of them. Because, like I said, they still have $70 million in space, in cap space, after they would get Deshaun. And Allen Robinson also liked a tweet about Deshaun going to the Jets. And he liked a jersey swap that had Allen Robinson and Deshaun on the Jets. I know it's, it's I'm nothing. not ready to make I him a favorite. I, 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 Maybe I a playoff berth. Well, I'm, I'm saying as far as it, not, not immediately this year, but down the road, you're looking at a team now that has a core on offense of a franchise left tackle, yep. a franchise left guard, because the worst kept secret in the NFL right now uh, is, is that Joe Thune is going to be a jet. The reason that the Patriots franchise tagged him last year out of nowhere is because they knew he was going to go to the jets if he was a franchise tag. So now you got the, one of the best left sides of the offensive line in the league. You got, a top receiver in free agency also that they're probably going to go ahead and sign, whether it's Robinson or whoever you've got Denzel Mims already there. You've got a defense that has more pieces than people realize. And you're adding Sala into that who just coached a bunch of nobodies on the Niners to a top five defense with all the injuries they had this year. Like, like all year long, we joked calling them the 39ers, 39ers yeah. you know, they, they with no talent, he got them to a top five team. So all of a sudden with that kind of quarterback, that kind of talent, all that extra cap space. And the fact that you wouldn't really be depleting your draft stock. I mean, your, your, your draft ammo, because all you're doing is trading the two picks you got for Jamal Adams starting next year, starting next season, they wouldn't be in any sort of hole with their draft picks. Like when uh, then the Redskins traded for RG three, all they would be doing is trading their current excess. So it's a perfect situation and they would be favorites among the favorites within a couple of years, but they don't immediately be a playoff team. And um, I, I, I'm, I can't, I got to stop like going on social yeah, media. You're and just going on an days. absolute tangent right yeah. now, but I can see your excitement <laughs> as you should be. I mean, I, I think there's a real possibility Watson uh, lands in New York. Like you said, it's all up to the Texans. They have the last head coaching spot available. Eric B is still available. So I think the only shot that they have is at least to give the guy an interview, give him a chance. I mean, you got to give Watson something or else he's probably going to force his way out the door. You mentioned the other Houston star that he's tight with that left for New York. James Harden is over with the Nets. And last night we got a taste of who would take the last shot between Kyrie Harden and Durant. Now Durant got the last shot. It wasn't the best of looks. Um, they lost in double overtime to the Cavs. But, uh, Joe, look, these three, I, I think they're going to work together. I still think the Lakers are my favorite. Um, but the Nets are going to have to outscore teams because what's happening is what we thought they would happen. They're exactly. going to be horrible on defense. They're going to be great on offense. 
But come to playoff time, those guys are going to buckle down. They're going to play defense, and the scoring is going to be there. I still think they, they need an inside threat, an inside presence. Jordan is good on defense, but losing Jared Allen was a nice piece for them a little bit offensively. But when you have those three guys, I mean, you know, people will want to come play with you. I think that maybe a big man will force their way out of somebody and be like, hey, trade me to Brooklyn, get a draft pick or something like that. But, uh, yeah, this Nets three, now that Kyrie's back, they are going to be a fun team to watch offensively. Absolutely. And like you said, what we've seen in the last week, is exactly what we thought. They gave up 142 last night to the Cavs, was it? Yeah, and like double OT. 147, yeah, I think, was, in double OT. Yeah, it was yeah. double OT, but still, at the end of regulation, I think it was, I want to say it was like 113s or, or something like that. Um, so, And I think at the end of the first overtime, it was tied at 127. So they're not going to be a good defense team in the regular season. We can't evaluate this team until it gets later on. Yes. Like I said last week, even when it comes to the playoffs, those first two rounds – First round is going to be a cakewalk, as it always seems to be in the NBA. Second round, they might have a test, but it, it, it's going to come together. I'm not worried about this team just because they had a bad night last night defensively. But we have seen that they are going to be exactly as we imagined, scary on offense. Last night, they started the game 10 of 10 from the field. Um, even Jeff Green getting involved, too. They're going to yeah. be a very, very scary team. And another very scary basketball team right now is actually your Bama basketball team, which is never a topic of conversation. Now, Joe, they are, uh, they are on fire right now. 7-0 and in SEC play. They won their last two, game by, two games by 30 points. Lenardi had, a, had them as a two-seed yesterday. They dropped back down to a three today because um, I think Houston won or Wisconsin won to put them back on the two-line. But, Joe, I'm going to say something that might shock you, but I really don't think it's that big of a statement. We all agree Gonzaga is – I mean, they're, they're on a new – they're on a different level. Baylor's really, really good too. But as great as Baylor is defensively, I just don't think their offense can keep pace with Gonzaga. If there is a team in college basketball this year that has any shot of beating Gonzaga, I think it's Alabama. And because of their style of play wow. and the way – they shoot the three ball. I don't think they'll beat Gonzaga, but if you're looking at a team that can beat them, you're going to have to outscore them. That's the only way. We saw Virginia play Gonzaga, and Gonzaga still scored 95 on them. Yeah. So we know they can score on any kind of defensive team. Bama had 60 points in the first half against LSU the other night. LSU's awful defensively, but you still hang a 60-piece on somebody. Pretty impressive. They made 23 three-pointers. If anybody's going to beat Gonzaga, I think it's Bama just because of the way that they play. With that being said, Bama can lose in the first round in the 3-14 game because that's just the way it is. If they're shooting well, they can beat anybody. If they're not shooting well, they can lose to anybody. But the job Nate Oates has done, the way they're playing right now, I mean, they've won at Tennessee. They've beaten Florida. They've won at Kentucky, who's not even going to make the NIT maybe. They're 4-10. Um the fact that Bama is a three seed, Joe, and North Carolina, Duke, and Michigan State yeah. are fighting for their tournament lives just brings a smile to my face. It's yeah. really, it's, it's wonderful it's, it's to see. Sign of the times, but hey, look, you gave me the floor to put my tinfoil hat on and and figure out the breadcrumbs from leading uh, Lamar Jack, um, Lamar Jackson uh, to Sean Watson from Houston to the Jets. I give you the floor for your Bama basketball, but on a larger scale, right now, the claim that I made 
two months or so ago now, still holding true. I said, I don't think at any point this year, either Gonzaga or Baylor will fall below the fourth ranking in the country because I could see, yeah. I could see a third team, whether it's a Nova, whether at the time it was an Iowa who has since been batted around, uh, whether it was a surprise team like Texas who got as high as four, I could have seen them falling from down to the four spot with one of those teams taking three. But I don't think – I said back then, I didn't think they would fall below four all year. Hasn't even changed. Ever since I said that, they've been one and two the whole way. The whole so way. So those two are clearly – those two teams clearly far and away the best teams in college basketball. And they're beating good competition too. They are. Oh, well, not, not Gonzaga anymore because they've gotten into their conference slate. But when they they, they beat they Iowa, they were thrashing all the best they teams. They were thrashing yeah. all the top teams. Baylor in conference play has played at Texas. They played Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. They've been beating them. So Kansas, they beat just Kansas. beat Kansas exactly. So right now they're a little bit more impressive. But when it comes down to it, Gonzaga, I think is better. Those two teams, man, teams to beat. I think when it comes yeah. down to making my making my bracket, I'm dragging, I'm dragging Gonzaga as far as I can until I play Baylor. I'm dragging Baylor as far as they can until they play Gonzaga, and then I'll have to think about that one, and then I'll fill everything else in. Those are the first two things I'm doing. Baylor still worries me just a little bit because I just worry about their offense in the tournament. And we've seen it with all these Virginia teams and as good as they are defensively. And I know Baylor is better offensively. A lot of guys are way better than Virginia offensively. They they do. This Baylor team reminds me of the Virginia team that actually did win it all. Because that Virginia team that actually did win it all finally, they had guys who could give you instant offense. Well, look at like, look at what Baylor's it took. Three, it, it took a lot, but Baylor's got three guys that could give you instant offense. And still, it took so much for Virginia because that team is so set in their style that it was almost like, oh crap, we have an offense. Kind of, what do we do now? Like they didn't know. Like me and pictures, like I don't know what to do with my hands. Oh, I, we got an offense. I don't know what to do with it, but. This Baylor team, I think, is really special, too. And they're battle-tested, tournament-tested because of the way that they have to go through this Big 12 schedule and the other top teams, Kansas, Texas, Texas Tech, that they've had to go through. And they've made deep tournament runs previously in the past. They probably were my pick to get to the Final Four uh, had last year's tournament happen. So I'm excited to see what they can do this year. We'll see. Everybody's going to have those two in their championship game, and it just never works out that way. It, does, but it never does. It never does. But in a year like this, with all the crazy that's happened, we'll see what happens. Joe, best bets and trivia time. We both went two and three we last did. week. Um, so you still maintain a three-game lead. What is your number five this week? And remember, this week we are picking both spreads. We are picking – Oh, I'm sorry. We're picking four spreads and a prop. That was our, that was our agreed upon thing for this week. Correct. The four spreads could be, it could be first half, second half. It could be game, whatever. It could be over-unders, first half, over. That's four, exact. four traditional things and then one prop. Yep. So I'm going to go with my prop as my fifth best bet to start off with. And it's going to be Tom Brady, yes, interception at minus 105, the way I'm looking at it right now. I think the way that defensive front has been playing for the Packers with Gary and the Smiths and with the talent they have at corner and with the talent they have at safety and Darnell Savage, um, I think they will turn Brady over at least once. It's supposed to be clear now, the, the, the weather, all week long. They were trying to see it could have been a driving snowstorm, which would have been incredible to watch. But 
They don't think it's going to snow. It's just going to be cold, not too windy. So I don't think the weather is going to be a factor. I just think the way the Packers play defense right now, and think of the things that Brady struggles with. He really struggles with interior pressure. He has struggled in the past uh, when it comes to safeties. Even last week, he had a couple that probably should have been picked off against Washington. He had a couple that probably should have been picked off. I think this Packers team turns him over at least once with an interception. All right. My number five is a prop as well. I have Devontae Adams touchdown plus a Packers win at plus 138. Um Nobody can cover Devontae Adams. It's that simple. Yeah. Green Bay is going to have a good passing defense. Right. I'm with you. If I had to bet over-unders this week, I saw a stat that the last uh, 10 AFC-NFC championship games, I think the over-under is like 7-2-1 and one or something. So in these games, I mean, it's high scoring when you get to this level. The teams are so good. And if it's a high-scoring game, I just don't see a scenario where Adams doesn't score a touchdown. He scored one last week, and I think he'll score one this week, too. I'm going to knock out number three and number four for me right now. Okay. You mentioned the totals. I'm going over in both games. In the, in, in the, in the, in the Bucks-Packers game, it's at 51-and-a-half. In Chiefs-Bills, it's at 54. Um, this Chiefs-Bills game, I very much see, as long as Mahomes is fine, I very much see both teams getting into the 30s. And I, at the very least, at the very least, the winning team gets into the 30s. And I don't think this game is decided by more than, more than seven points. So with that logic, if I have the winning team getting to, at the very least, 31, I don't see the losing team having any less than 24. Math tells you that's an over. So give me the over 54 in that one. And then Bucks packers um, like I said, it dodged the bullet, it seems, with the weather as far as the wind and the snow. It's just going to be like 26 degrees with minimal winds. So the weather's not going to be a factor. Yes, the Bucks are a Florida warm-weather team, but Brady is not a warm-weather quarterback. He's been a cold-weather quarterback his whole career, so it doesn't impact him. Obviously, it doesn't impact the Packers. I, I think this game, same thing like the Chiefs-Bills game. If not both teams, at least the winning team gets into the 30s. And so I'm going over in both of these. My number four is Buffalo-Kansas City first half under. I'm with you. I'd like the game total of the over, but for the first half, Mahomes working back from that concussion. I just think Andy Reid's going to maybe lean on that run game a little bit, see how he's moving around. And then with the Bills, while we saw them just throw, 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 throw against the Ravens, I think in the first half there's going to be a little more running with Singletary, try and chew up some clock, maybe some methodical drives. Um, so for the first half, I do like under 26 and a half Buffalo, Kansas city. And then my number three, I like green Bay minus two and a half first half against Tampa Bay. Green Bay has been so good starting the season fast this year, especially at home. Um, you know, Tampa Bay was behind uh, New Orleans for much of that first half. They were down 20 to 13 in the second half. I just think Green Bay starts fast and uh, they lead by three or more heading to the locker room. All right. And now the reason we haven't really, I mean, at least on my end, the reason we kind of punted on dissecting these games earlier in the show, because we knew we would dissect them now. Yeah. So I'll get down to it. My number two pick is going to be Packers minus three against the Bucks, And my take on this game uh, the Bucks are a really good team against the run. And I think a lot of the people are going to remember the Bucks thrashing the Packers early in the year. I personally would feel comfortable with this game all the way up to minus six with the Packers. 
I think they're that good, and they showed it last week. Yes, I picked against them last week. That was more of a me sticking to my guns sort of thing than anything else, though. Um, they're, they're just incredible. I mean, the one question mark I think they had all year was will the defense rally, and it has with that front and with that secondary. So I don't think that's an issue anymore. I think offensively, Jones might not have as big of a day as you think, especially because they're a really good run defense to Bucks. Uh, but again, with Adams, with Lazard catching that touchdown last week, he's a viable option. Valdez Scantling, always a deep threat. Tunyon has been tremendous at tight end. This Packers team offensively might be the most talented offensive team that Aaron Rodgers has had since he won the Super Bowl. Back then when he had Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, I think it, Jermichael Finley still. This rivals that. It's probably better. Adams is the best receiver he's ever had. I don't think the Bucs can stop that. This is a strength on a weakness. The Bucs the Bucks Achilles heel is their passing defense. And the fact that Breeze and the Saints couldn't exploit that last week just shows you how far gone Drew Breeze, unfortunately, is. Um, Rodgers is not Drew Breeze. Rodgers will exploit that. And on the flip side, like I said, the Packers defense has been playing a lot better. And the Bucks offense, uh, obviously tremendous. But Antonio Brown, not 100%. Mike Evans, I have a hard time believing is at 100% after his knee came out from under him in the last yeah. season game. Godwin... I don't find him to be 100%. You still see him playing with that, with those two fingers on his hand wrapped. I think he would have caught a touchdown pass last week if not for that. There was another one that he dropped. So as talented as they are, I don't think any of them are 100%. So I think the Packers will stop them. The Bucks can't stop the Packers. Give me the Packers minus three. Like I said, I would have felt comfortable with this all the way up to minus six. Totally with you. The Packers are my number one play. I got them minus three as well. To me, I agree with everything you said. On top of it, though, it's just turnovers. We talked about New Orleans wins and that game. Why Brady, and that's why Brady is, is my prop to throw an interception. Exactly. And, and New or you know, Tampa didn't turn the ball over last week. New Orleans turned it over four times. There's your ball game. And when these two teams met in week one, Green Bay was up 10 nothing, And the play that flipped everything was Aaron Rodgers throwing a pick six. And if you're banking Which on Aaron Rodgers throwing a pick six, <laughs> especially at home, not going to happen. Uh, you know, if they turn it over, it'll be a fumble maybe. I just can't see Rodgers throwing an interception. He's going to take care of the ball. And the way that they dominated that Rams defense, even with Aaron Donald out, um, I, I you know, it just they were running the ball. They were throwing the ball. They were just the first five drives they scored points on. You just you can't stop that offense. And because of how Tampa Bay looked against New Orleans, because of – it's Tom Brady in the playoffs, I think, is the reason why this game is close. But when you really dive deeper, I'm with you. This spread should be like minus six. I think Green Bay is clearly yeah. the better team, and I think they win. And on Twitter, um, there's you know, a bunch of betting guys that I follow, a couple closer than others, and two of them, uh, they had before the slate started last week, they tweeted out what they guessed the lines would be. Um, for the following week, depending on the combination, obviously, whatever it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. And I noticed he initially said in, in that guessing game, sort of ordeal, obviously, he thought this would be minus six and a half and it's minus three. So I, I got to take the value on that. Definitely. And again, that was my number two. You said that's your number one. Yeah. So all that's left for me is my number one. And for you, your number two, for me, my number one, it is the chiefs minus three for I mean, we talked about this with Worm. I, I, I do not – it's a very easy – a question I asked him, over two and a half rings in this five-year span for Mahomes, it's an easy over for me. 
as long as he is cleared and healthy and he all indications seem to be, um, I, I'm not picking against the Chiefs. I know their games have been closer recently. They've been winning by six, by five, by seven. But that number of three, I'm figuring at the worst, this game's 34-31. I'm, I'm getting a push at the worst. I, it's, it's tough. You don't see it often in a game landing on one or two, so I'm comfortable taking the three. I do think it's a close game. But again, that number three is huge. If it was three and a half, I would have made it number two and I would have made the Packers number one. But at three, feel comfortable with it. I, I just cannot see why I know that the, that the Bills have been that sort of team of destiny. But as far as a football standpoint, it just doesn't do it for me. This Chiefs defense, I can't see why people have not been talking more about the Chiefs defense. Uh, Dan Orlovsky pointed it out, former guest of the pod. Obviously, hope to have him on again at some point when the season ends looking ahead to the draft and whatnot, but he pointed it out down the stretch. If you take away the chargers game, this defense was averaging 21 points against per game. The defense has been tremendous for KC. I think they can Steve Spagnuolo going back to his days with the giants. uh, He is, he's got a knack for cooking up these game plans in the playoffs defensively and, and giving the other team fits. I think the bills offense has some trouble you talked about the Ravens being a rhythm offense when we were on with Worm. The Bills this year have also struck me as a rhythm offense, and they kind of had their momentum halted last week. Not their own fault. It was the weather's fault. But I don't see them getting all the way back up to full speed this week, and I think it's a tough match, tougher match than people think against the Chiefs defense that's been playing the way it's playing. And then on the flip side of the ball, I don't see the Bills stopping Mahomes in this offense, again, as long as Mahomes is fine. So I see this game ending up somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 38 31 Chiefs, 38, 34 Chiefs. Um, I, I think when it comes down to it, just Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes, not picking against them in a game like this. And I like Buffalo plus three against Kansas City. <laughs> so you got Packers Chiefs Super Bowl. I have I have Packers Bills. I think the Bills are actually going to win this thing outright. All right. um, I'm not buying into the team of destiny. That's the whole thing here. Well, I, you know, I just – I'm not so much on the team of destiny. I just look at the fact that they really shouldn't have beaten the Colts and they shouldn't have beaten the Ravens. I think they were outplayed in both games. But to win both those games, I think, says something about how far this team has come. The fact yeah, that they have like, – Where's the logic in that? If, if they shouldn't have beaten the Colts and they shouldn't have beaten the Ravens, you think they beat the Chiefs, who are the gold standard that by which all teams are measured? I do, because I think their best game is yet to come. I mean, they hadn't won a playoff game in 20 years, and now all of a sudden you've beaten two teams back-to-back. That's impressive. Josh Allen's, you know, finally won some playoff games, and that's impressive. And I just – we've talked about if there's a team that's going to beat Kansas City, it's Buffalo because they can hang with them, they can score points with them, and – I'm just not buying into that KC's this super crazy good team that just can't be beaten. I think there's flaws. I think Cleveland had their chances to win that game last week. Mahomes' injury obviously changed. Yeah, that was huge. (laughs) There were certain – I mean, in the first half, Cleveland really missed some opportunities. I just – it's hard to get back to the Super Bowl. Hey, look, it wouldn't wouldn't stun me by any means. It wouldn't stun me. But, uh, I, I, again, just with what we've seen – you know, sure, the, the Browns had chances, but how much of that was fluky with Mahomes getting hurt, with Butker missing kicks he doesn't miss? Um, there was a lot of that that was fluky. Otherwise, they should have and would have been down by a lot more. I think if Mahomes doesn't get hurt 
and we're talking about Butker being what he normally is, similar to what Justin Tucker happened to do last week, um, that game was well in hand in the fourth quarter and not coming down to will Chad Henney out of nowhere pick up a, a third and 16 followed by a fourth and inches, you know. So I, and, and I stick with what I've said all year, that these Chiefs are reminding me of the Warriors in that they all year kind of coasted. When they need to turn it on, they turned it on. Whenever they went down in the fourth quarter, they can't. They bounced back and they won it. Uh, it, it. There's just something else to them. Pat Mahomes, to obviously you take away that Chargers game of last week of the year. But going back to last la- uh, last Labor Day till now, he's 24 and one, I think it is. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not picking him to get lost number two in this game. Maybe in the Super Bowl against the Green Bay Packers. Probably still going to side with the Chiefs when it comes down to it. I'll have to think about it. I get, I get two weeks to think about it, but I'm not picking him to lose this one. All I know is it's tough to get to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. It's really, really hard. And Kansas City's obviously got the team to do it. They got the quarterback to do it and the coach to do it, but it is it is hard to do. Um, you, we both agree it's going to be a close game, and when I think it's going to be a close game, I usually lean towards the underdog when they're getting points. So I would have, I would have, like I said, I would have dropped it down in my packing order if it were three and a half, if it were four or something like that. But at three. I'm not – look, if I lose – if the Chiefs win by one or they win by two, that doesn't happen very, very often. So it, it is what it is. I'll take right. a push if I get a push at minus three. But uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for the two fact that – Two good games. Can, yeah, uh, yeah, this, yeah, these, these are going to be really good games. These two could be tremendous classics. Um, I mean, that's that Packers-Bucks game especially. Like, you're giving me Brady and Rodgers for the first ever time in playoff history – with a chance to go to the Super Bowl for Brady possibly in the home stadium. Uh, this is – I'm very – Some news, too, that just dropped like two hours ago is the Packers GM just passed away. He did. Ted Thompson. So, Former you GM don't think the fact – GM, yep. GM. So, you don't think that uh, Aaron Rodgers playing his first title game at Lambeau, all that going on, there's yeah. there's something happening for the Pack. I think uh, I think it's there. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yep. hey, I, I really hope – I'm really going into this weekend hoping that we get – a Mahomes Rogers Super Bowl that everybody wants to see. Uh, whether we do or don't, I don't know, but that is the that is the game we all have been hoping to see. And we were robbed of it last year when Mahomes was hurt and we saw Matt Moore play that game. But I'm really hoping we get it in a Super Bowl. It would probably be the most anticipated hype Super Bowl of all time. I don't know if I'm wrong in saying that. Um, I know we've had plenty of Super Bowls that have that have had blue bloods against each other with the Packers and the Steelers and stuff, but Mahomes, Rogers matching up. Are you kidding me? Honestly, if Brady wins game? too, if if Brady, I mean, if uh, yeah, Mahomes wins, wins as whoever as wins Mahomes the end is in it. Correct. But I think I still think there's more to Mahomes, uh, Rogers, than there is Mahomes Brady because we've seen Mahomes Brady in back to back AFC title games, sure. and I think that uh, not sorry, not back to back AFC title games. We saw it in the in the one AFC title game. Um, but we've seen it in the regular season multiple times and we, we've seen it, but the other, the other thing linking Mahomes and Rogers is Brady is indisputably the goat because of the rings. But for me, Aaron Rodgers up until Pat Mahomes is by far the most talented player I've ever seen the quarterback position. And now Mahomes will, he will supplant him. So we're talking about the two probably best players to ever play the position. Again, greatest is a different argument. You got the rings with Brady. It's totally different. 
but in terms of pure talent, talent yes they are the two most talented players to ever play the position so that's yep. why that does it for me more than Mahomes Brady does but either way we're in retreat gonna be good all right Joe trivia to end it we're both at 12 and a half you said you loved uh your question that you have for me so let me hear it. I'm ready one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Let me just get my count back down. Okay. Uh, it's championship weekend. I want you to give me uh, seven of the nine longest championship droughts, appearances, not wins, not, not like Super Bowl droughts. The seven of the nine longest droughts of teams having not made it to a conference championship game. Seven of the nine. Okay. So let's see. Uh, Ravens, no. Steelers, no. Bengals, Browns, possibly. I'm going to go Browns. Browns is correct for 28 years. I'm going to go Bengals. 32 years. That's okay. Uh, let's see. Five more to go. You're only 20 seconds into it. The Jags just made it. The Texans. The Texans have never made it. 19 years. They are, they are in the picture. There we go. Okay. Uh, the Colts have made it recently. The Jags have made it. The Titans You've made it You've gotten the, the top three, technically. Okay um because the texans are technically number one since they've never been there even though it's only 19 years the chargers made it with rivers in 07 the raiders haven't been there in a while those could possibly too the jets recently the patriots recently ish you're a minute into it you got you got 30 seconds left i'll go dolphins the dolphins are correct and i'll go raiders correct got two more um I'll go, uh, let's see. I'll go Lions. Correct. Six, 10 and seconds. Vikings. Incorrect. Uh, I'll go uh, Cowboys. Correct. There you go. At the nice. buzzer, you had three seconds left. Of nice. the, I said seven of the nine. The two you were missing. One you mentioned, the Chargers. They are the ninth. Oh, okay. So 07 was the cutoff. So yep. Washington then, the football team? Washington and Detroit. Did you say Detroit? I did say Detroit. You said Detroit. I'm sorry. Yeah, Washington. Washington was the Washington and the Chargers were the two. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Those were the two. I cut it off at nine because after that, then you had teams that were tied. So, so nine was my cutoff for that. But right. There you go. Like Washington was going to be my next guest if it wasn't, uh, if there it wasn't. Go. Yeah. So, all Just right. Like nice. Yeah. I buzzer. did like but that one. The numbers are 32 years for the Bengals, 28 for the Browns, 29 for Washington, 29 for Detroit, uh, 28 for the Dolphins, 25 for the Cowboys. 18 for the Raiders, 13 for the Chargers. And the like I said, the Texans are technically number one on the list because for them it's never. But in being never, it's only 19 years for them. So they would be in the middle of that top nine. My question for you is uh, Tampa is trying to achieve something that doesn't happen often. They're trying to become a wild card team that wins three road playoff games on their route to the Super Bowl. Since okay. 2005, it's only happened three times where a team has won three games on, on the road en route to the Super Bowl. Can you name those three teams? All right. The, the Giants in 07. That is correct. And the Ravens when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, no, the Ravens won against the Colts at home in the wild oh, card game that year. Game. Okay. So that's my right. strike. Um, since 05. All road games. I want to say when the Steelers played the Cardinals, I want to say the Steelers had a lot of road games in there. I don't know if they were wild card, though. I got one strike already. Um, let's see. 
lately it's been a lot of chalk. Um, I'll say the Steelers the year they play the Cardinals. The Steelers is correct. It wasn't the year they played the Cardinals. It was the year they played the Seahawks in 05. Oh, okay. But you did, but, you did right, get the gotcha. team right. So one of the early one more Steelers team. ones. Okay. You got 40 seconds left. Okay. I, I knew it was one of those. Um, let's see now. 30 seconds. Um, oof. I, uh, I really thought that the, the Ravens had done it. I forgot about that Colts game. You're going to kick yourself if you don't get this one. I'm probably yeah. going to. <laughs> 20 probably seconds left. Is it, the, is it the Seahawks as the opponent of the Steelers in that game? No, it is not the Seahawks. Okay. Um, wow. 10 this seconds. Is... Mm. What you got? Five seconds. One strike left, five seconds. Just name a team. All right. I'm going to check up a Hail Mary here, and I'm going to say that it was the Giants twice. No, it was not the Giants right. twice. It was the Packers the year Rodgers won the Super Bowl. Wow. They were the really? sixth seed. They were the sixth seed that year. They won all their games on the uh, on the road. Wow. That crossed my mind, but I, I remember that year because that was the last year the Jets had made it to the AFC title game. And I remember saying that I thought the Jets would have beaten the Packers because of how they played in the regular season. But I could have sworn that the Packers were better that year. Who was the – who won the so let's see year? let's see the 2010 playoff bracket i know they were the six seed they beat philadelphia on the road um let's see so i was going through those two i knew it wasn't recent because it's been chalk so the first thing i did was i went back to um from the you know what the, it was it was the year when they beat the bears in the nfc title game when cutler got that's hurt that's right that was That's the right. year. So the year that the Bears were good. Okay. So yep. So oh, so Green Bay was actually the. Uh, oh no, let's see. This is the wrong year. This is two thousand nine. I need two thousand ten. Yeah. The first thing I did was I said, lately it's been all chalk. It hasn't happened in a bit. Right. So I started. I started backtracking from the year that the Patriots and the Seahawks played. Before that, I started going. I'm sorry. Excuse me. The Broncos and the Seahawks. I started going before that. Um, so yeah. so Green Bay was a six seed. They beat Philly in the wild card round. Then they went to Atlanta. Atlanta was the one seed that year, and they uh, demolished them, 48-21. Right. And then they beat Chicago in the NFC title game. And then what, they was, their, what was their six. record that year, now that you have it up? Their record that year. This is not me like making an excuse for you. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm thinking about that year. Uh, they were 10-6 um, and six that year. Ten and six. Wow. Okay, that's what that's what threw me off because I remember, like, I distinctly remember the Jets that year. The Jets lost to the Packers nine to nothing in the regular season, I believe it was. And I remember saying to myself, "If we play them again, we will beat them." But the Packers at the time, when the Jets played them, because the Jets were also kind of looked at as a, as a very solid team, um, I remember the Packers going the things that you randomly remember. I remember the Packers were looked at as one of the best teams in the league that year. But I guess they faltered at some point, finished 10 and 6, and, and that was it. And they proved, obviously, that they were the best team in the league that year. But yep. all right. So, all right, so there, you, there go. you go. So if Tampa wins, they'd only be the fourth team since uh, 05 to win three straight on the road. It happened. Does it, does it count, though? Because they had have the Super Bowl at home. <laughs> That's, That's a great point. Play all those road games just to get a home game in the Super exactly. Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, you go back up by one on the trivia. We'll see what happens this week. I'm totally with you on the Packers. Chiefs Bills should be a great game. I hate betting against Mahomes, but uh, that's the thing. I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. 
look, and I, I you can't argue with that. <laughs> I feel, I feel you. All right, Joe. Thanks again to Worm for uh, joining us, coming on as an official guest, having him, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thank you.